who do you think took it the hardest? You know, who who do you think? Um, yeah, like took it the hardest. You or mom? Like who was you know more resentful or, or angry or more upset or you know who do you think was more of the enabler kind of kind of ordeal like that? I mean, out of you and mom. Austin, Dylan, Dan, and Kathy, and myself on this podcast. This came about because a few weeks ago, Kathy and I did a podcast on what it's like to be the mother of an addict. Um, she obviously has Dom and Tio, and I have Kyle. Um, and the difference was her kids are still alive uh, fighting it and doing a great job with it, and I lost my son, um, obviously, a couple years ago. So after that podcast, Joe was with us on that podcast. He stood up and said, what about the dads? We always talk about the moms. Let's talk to the dads. So Dan's here graciously willing to share his story, um, answer some questions, and Ross is here um, as well. So we can talk about whatever, um, whatever comes out, whatever anybody wants to answer. Um, so let's get started. Hey, Dad, what's going on? Not much, buddy. How you guys doing? Well, we're doing good. We're doing real well. <laughs> so anyway... Uh, just have a few questions for you. So my question is, with uh, with Dominic and I in our kind of like active addiction, how did you, how were you able to deal with that mentally, being able to go through, you know, live your day-to-day -day life, basically knowing that any day now that you might not have any of your kids here? Well, I can tell you one thing. It was tough knowing you know um i might not have shown it the best that uh, that uh it was affecting both of us but truly it was i thought about it all the time when you guys were out and about you know like mom would say you know waiting for a phone call to happen you know which thank god it never came to, to that but i mean it, it wore on us for sure knowing you know, any day any time something something bad could happen you know and um it uh took a lot out of us for them for the, them years but you know what being strong a strong family that we are you know we've made it i mean we've made it through okay who do you think took it the hardest you know who who do you think um yeah, like took it the hardest. You or mom? Like, who was you know more resentful or, or angry or more upset or, you know, who do you think was more of the enabler kind of kind of ordeal like that? I mean, out of you and mom. Well, I was probably the one who, mom. Thank God was you know. Took it, you know. She took it bad. But I, I was just mad at you guys for being doing the things you were doing that, that was hurting us. So I was mad, you know, at you guys, you know, for just for that. I mean, I wasn't resentful. I, you know what I mean? It, it was a point where I didn't even really want to see you guys just because it just made me mad. You know, you guys coming around and knowing what was going on. You know, 
luckily, you know, mom kept in great contact with you guys through all that, and she would fill me in, you know, and I would kind of blow it off, which I didn't. I would just deal it and deal with it in my own way, you know, just I could do everything else, you know, just try to realize, you know, this this is what's going on. I mean, and try and do our best to get through it. I mean, I didn't resent. I was just mad, I think. The best thing to say, I was just mad at you guys. So, Dan, this is Kathy. Did you feel helpless? Like you were hearing all this and there was really nothing that you could do? As we're learning, like when, when you're dealing with this addiction, it's really up to them to change. So did you feel helpless? Yeah, I'm kind of helpless. You know, you can only talk to them for so, you know, so much. It, they only listen, you know, for so much. And then, then you know, when they're not around you, you know, they're going to do what they want to do anyway. You know what I mean? Like Dominic said, I think one of your podcasts, you know, we, you know, we did what we wanted to do. You know, we can't blame our parents because we went out and acted foolishly. You know, yeah, we felt helpless. We couldn't follow them around, you know, and we couldn't ground them or lock them in the, in the basement, you know. Right. Seriously, yeah, I mean, you feel helpless, absolutely feel helpless because there's nothing you can really do. I mean, the kids are growing up. It's, you know, it's tough. So in, in our situation, we did not know that Kyle was using, obviously. Which way do you think is worse, knowing it and having to deal with it or not knowing at all? Knowing and not dealing with it, probably. Okay, that's fair. I was always curious about that. And we all, we often say that, too. Like, we miss Kyle dearly, but we didn't have to go through the suffering and the worrying that a parent like you have to go through every day. So I was just curious. Uh, because I know this isn't the first time that you've actually dealt with addiction with your own kids, dad. So I kind of just want to touch base with that kind of lightly. Um, knowing about mom, how were you able to deal with that? Cause not knowing about it, cause it was years and years ago. How were you able to, I don't know, be supportive for her? How were you able to listen and understand why she was doing the things she was doing kind of if, if that makes sense you mean like drinking yes yeah well <laughs> again i mean dealing with it is, is hard very hard to deal with it and the last thing that you want to do is be so negative to- towards it that like just keep on doing it so I, I you know with mom i was i was there for you know thick and thin supporting her the whole way and everything else you know the last thing i want to do is oh, if, if you don't do this then i'm leaving stuff that, that don't work that just makes things worse so you just try to get through it do the the best that you can and support them as well and and try and help them along the way and then it got to a point where mom helped did did exactly what she needed to do and we've come full circle. I mean, it's it's a godsend, you know what I mean? It's come full, full circle. You got the help, you know what? And there was some tough tough times to deal with. But, you know, like I said, if it wasn't for our, our family. I think it's really difficult um, for, for men to, you know, express their feelings and also um, – you know, I mean, some of the things that Dan's talking about, how do you deal with these pressures? Um, 
again, I think it's really difficult for men to express how to feel. Uh, one of the ways that I've found out is men usually get depressed and then depression in men comes out in anger. Um, and, and then of course, once you do that, once you start being angry with everybody, it, uh, <laughs> it's not good. It's not good for your home life. It's not good for your work. Um, it's really difficult. And I think that's a subject and a topic, um, uh, that really needs to be explored deeper because I know Dan's lost for words. And, and when, when you guys asked me to be a part of this, uh, podcast, I, I struggled too for the couple of days, three, four days that I knew I was coming here. How am I going to explain this? How am I going to explain how I would deal with, uh, pressures? And Kathy, you said, what's better knowing or not knowing whether your children are using. And I, I, I guess I got to agree with Dan, um, not knowing because, you know, I didn't know what Dave here was doing. It made it a little easier, but if I knew, you know, I've had other people in my family that I knew what they were up to and it was terrible. It was just like Dan says, you're always waiting for that phone call, whether it's uh, going to be an overdose or, um, and I didn't have that issue, but maybe uh, drinking and driving, they, had, they were in an accident or they weren't going to come home or uh, you were going to go over to their room the next day and, you know, they threw up and, and, and suffocated or drowned in their own vomit. I mean, it was that, that was horrible. I hated uh, those feelings. So, you know, uh, I want to leave uh, Dom and Tio to continue, but... I hope as we go through this uh, podcast today, we can kind of drill down into what, um, you know, how, how we do deal with it, you know, because it isn't easy. Do you have something, Mary? Yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, not only did Ross have kids that were, I'll term it as misbehaving, but he had a wife that there were a couple of times he probably had to worry about whether or not I was going to, die in my vomit at night or that was a yeah, bigger I mean, worry. It, it, yeah. You, when you have a family and, and I like to think of my family as strong as Dan's family as well. Um, you know, we all stuck together or, uh, you know, uh, everybody here, Dan, uh, Kathy, Mary, uh, Dave, Dom and Tio, we all played lacrosse together. We were, we were all together most every weekend. And, and you know, uh, we might be getting off on a little side tangent here, but um, it, as much as we were all together, I would have never expected any of these guys to be doing what they were doing. And, um, and I always felt really great about that because when I was a teenager, uh, I spent zero time with my parents and my parents spent zero time with me. And, um, I thought it was great that every, you know, I mean, it was Friday nights. It was 1130, 12 o'clock. We were up in the, you know, playing lacrosse indoor, you know, and I figured, Oh, this is great. I know where my kids are. I know what they're doing. Well, <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I found out there was a, a blonde haired boy that played lacrosse that uh, he, uh, he admitted right before he graduated, he goes, you know, I, I played uh, lacrosse most of the games I was high. 
And I was like, what? I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I, I was floored. I mean, when I was in, in uh, high school, I did not play sports. I was on the, the bad guys team, you know. <laughs> and uh, I didn't think we called them jocks back then. I, I didn't think jocks did that kind of stuff. I thought they were clean as a whistle, you know. They didn't party. Maybe they drank, whatever. Maybe that's a stigma, right? Yeah. But, uh, boy, did I get my eyes opened when, you know, I started – hanging out with the crowd that did play sports and it, you know, it wasn't just lacrosse there, you know, we played hockey, we did a bunch of things. And, uh, so it, it you know, like any kind of user, whether you're, uh, an alcoholic or, uh, using drugs, um, there are highly functioning and, and you can't put that stigma that only, the the bikers or the bad guys or the drug users and all the uh the the athletes are the good kids Uh, i mean i really i really did have an eye-opening experience there so dan what did you used to say on the sidelines when you were upset with the call on the field you had a saying somebody said you had a there he goes (laughs) (laughs) yeah That's uh, funny, Dan. I, I I was telling Kathy that this morning. I said, there's one thing that Dan would always do on the sidelines. It's just like his little trademark, and uh, and it stuck with me. Anytime I get upset about something, I'm like, come on! <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, I do have one thing. There's a movie called When a Man Loves a Woman. Okay, it's got Andy Garcia and Meg Ryan in it. And it deals with a married couple's addiction with his wife. How he deals with it, and they have two kids. Okay, and it shows her struggles through the drinking to the kind of like the beginning stages and how it progressed to getting worse and worse and worse. And throughout the movie, she ends up like kind of like her husband's trying to help her and she keeps saying to him, you can't help me. You don't understand. Okay. And it came to a point where they split up and one of her biggest resentments was not having her husband there when she celebrated her like six month or, or a year, whatever it was. Um, because they ended up splitting up. He took another job, but it's a really good movie. I'm not going to get more into it. There's, it's a very happy ending watch it if you have a chance to it's really really good but it it goes through like a married couple like the husband when he has to deal with with his wife being through addiction i think it's really good it's an older movie it's one of my favorites so good on netflix Netflix? it's not on netflix it's probably on prime probably have to pay for it I got a question here because you're talking about Kathy and I don't really know Kathy's story. I mean, I bared my soul in, I think it was podcast 12 or whatever about my issues. So Kathy, do you mind touching a little bit on that? Yeah. And I was just sitting here thinking, you know, and Ross was talking, Ross was talking about, you know, we spent so many weekends together and you know what? I didn't realize that you drank and I, you probably didn't realize I drank either. It's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it probably was good. Well, there was one mom that said to me once, Kathy Ruka loves to drink, like really loves to drink. And I was like, nah, I don't see that. 
so when the boys were going through this, and I did, and it, it was mostly, you know, it was mostly more of a closet drinker, I guess, and drank at home. But it became where it was a daily thing. So, you know, the first thing I did when I walked in the door was grab a glass of wine. And when things got tough or I was mad at the boys or <laughs> or if I was happy or if it was sunny or if it yeah. was... <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the occasion was, there was, there was wine. And I got to the point, and especially with the boys struggling with some things, I thought, you know, I can hardly tell them that they shouldn't be doing certain things when I'm a living example of what happens when you do that every day. And I just had to get to the point where I, you know, I, I needed a change. And I, I'm glad I made that change. So we're, but it wasn't easy. We're <laughs> kind of easy. The, oh, I know. So we're the same deal in life. I just didn't know that. So thanks for sharing that. Yep. So sure. let, let me sure. ask a question here. Um, Obviously, Joe's not with us today. He's in Myrtle Beach, and he's stepping away from the podcast, but Joe drinks. Um, I once told him that I thought he was an alcoholic. It runs in his family. How, how did you two, whether it's Mary or Kathy that answer this, come to the conclusion that you had a drinking problem? Was it because someone told you, or did you have to learn on your own and admit to yourself? That's a good question. <clears throat> Very good question. You want to go, Kathy, or should I go? Well, hey, and I would think Dom and Tio could answer the same question. I knew that it was affecting our marriage. I mean, Dan was very supportive, although I don't think he really understood because he was just like, well, if you don't want to drink, then just don't. (laughs) No, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Dan, I'm with you, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. It, It was hard, and it got to the point where I just felt like it was... It was consuming too much of my life. And I felt like I was hiding all the time. You know, like I didn't really want to go places because I just wanted to, you know, just isolate. And that that's not good. Okay. So I, I knew, I knew I needed to make some life changes. So you came to that conclusion on your own. Dan wasn't, didn't admit to you or confront you with the issue. You came to that conclusion on your own. Well, I mean, I knew he didn't like it. I knew that he thought that sometimes I drank too much. And, you know, like in in the early days, you know, I would, you know, sometimes I got a little mean Mm. and argumentative. And even with the kids, then I would get, you know, just argumentative. And he used to say, you know what? After you take a drink, you're a different person. And I didn't, I didn't want to be that person. So I, you know, I decided. I actually told him one day, "This is it. This I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a change. I'm gonna do what I need to do." And I came home and told him all that that day that um, starting tomorrow, I'm making a change. So did you do it for yourself, or did you do it for Dan and the kids? I mean, yes, I did it for myself because you can't do it for somebody else, or it won't work. It won't stay. It won't last. I should say it that way. You have to do it for you first. Because you can't help anybody else and you can't be good for somebody else if you're not fixed. If you're if you don't have your own self in line, you can't help anybody else. Thanks for sharing. Mary, do you have any input on that? Um, yeah. So I tried to quit 
two times before I'm at the position I am now. So hopefully third time's a charm. But, you know, I've been in therapy for, I'm going to say close to 10 years because of my bipolar two. Um, a lot of self-medication going on. And, you know, way back when the kids were little, I remember Ross, maybe this is my fourth time now to think about it, but Ross challenged me and he said, I bet you can't quit for 30 days. Like th there was a problem way back then. I was so mad. So, and I, I don't even know if at that time, if Dave was even in kindergarten, um, but they were young. And I always kind of had that little bit of a thought planted, the seed planted in the back of my head. And, you know, life just continued and I didn't get diagnosed with bipolar for many years a lot of self-medication went on just to try and calm my brain down and make me feel normal and then through the course of therapy you know the medical definition of how much are you drinking I'm like oh yeah well I blow that chart right out of the water yeah. <laughs> and maybe then some you know and so that was always a little question mark in my brain and you know I quit the one time in honor of my other son going into the military and the whole time he was at basic training I was like well if he can't drink then I can't drink um, and then I quit through this series of the just terrible stuff related to my back surgery but that was because I knew my liver couldn't handle it anymore <laughs> with the amount of medication and like, neither one of those was really um, quitting because I needed to do it for me. So the therapist said to me one day, because I always swore, I'm high-functioning, I'm doing all this great stuff. I can't really have a problem. I still manage my household, my business, and... Um, that I just swore it wasn't affecting my life. And she says... I think you need to pay attention. And I was increasing my usage and intake and I did start to pay attention. I was like, oh, yeah. And then I fell at a party and chipped a tooth and um, that was pretty eye-opening. And like, I didn't even remember until I was planted on the ground. Somehow I <laughs> realized then I'm like, yeah it really is affecting my life and I need to stop. But it was probably three more months, I think, before that happened. And then I, I had to stop for me. I knew if I didn't stop, I was gonna end up killing myself in one way or another, or I was gonna lose my husband. And we've been together 30 years, I really didn't wanna lose him. So, yeah. well, Mary, wouldn't you say, or even Kathy and maybe Dom and Tio could, I, I think everybody has, uh, a rock bottom of some sort. I mean, something that they finally realize that, hey, I got to make a change. And, you know, I, I think it's true. I used to tell Mary, and that was probably one of the ways that I would deal with her um, addictions, if you will, was to, you know, have it in the back of my mind and that they had or she had to quit for herself she there was nothing i was going to say to her that was going to make her do it and uh 
it just like Dan was with his wife, you have to be supportive and, uh, you know, hope that whatever that rock bottom is, isn't going to kill him. But, uh, that's, that's how we do it. I have to add one more thing that was really crucial to me making a change. And when I knew that Dave and his wife were expecting a baby and that I was bad enough, they would in all their rights never trust me to have that baby alone. I could not live with myself after that. And thankfully that's paid off. I'm going to like cry here because... <laughs> They now trust me to watch the child every Friday evening while Brie works an extra shift, but I could not stand the thought of never being able to do anything with my granddaughter by myself, never taking her to the pumpkin patch or anything. That would just kill me, and then drinking was not worth that and all the rest. So, so we have a bunch of strong people sitting yeah. at the table and in New York. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Dom and Tia, did you have to do it for yourself? Can I share one more thing? Though, Absolutely. Yep. When Mary started talking, it made me think about 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 a week before I decided finally that the, enough was enough. I was drinking wine one night, and Gianni was staying with us at the time because Terrio had a house in Redline, and he things he, things weren't going very well at that time, and Gianni was young. And I remember going upstairs, I think Dan was watching football and Gianni wanted to watch some cartoon or whatever. So I took him upstairs and I was by no means, you know, drunk or anything, but I got him a sippy cup full of whatever it was. And I got a sippy cup full of wine <laughs> and we needed to go upstairs and watch the, the a movie or whatever. And I was sitting there and I looked down at him as I'm drinking wine out of a sippy cup and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to do this again. <laughs> now, I drink when the kids were young. I started drinking when we lived in Redline and the kids were in middle school. The people that moved in next door liked to drink. And I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying <laughs> that's when it started. Because every night we'd meet out back and she'd say, hey, you want to have a rum and coke or whatever. And it was really then that I started drinking. I didn't drink when the kids were young. And I, I remember, I just remember looking down at Gianni's big eyes and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to make the same mistakes with him that I've seen with the kids. This can, this can't be, this has got, I, I can't do this anymore. Sitting there with a wine cup full, a sippy cup with wine in it. I thought this is ridiculous. Okay. Do you know that is like so classic in the whole mommy wine culture stuff that's out there? Crazy. Yep. So back to Dom and Tio. Did you have to quit for yourself? I guess I'll go. I'll go first. I'm scared or something. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I had to quit for myself. I didn't have like a, like on a podcast of what the three or four that we were on. I didn't have anything else. I burned a lot of bridges and I screwed a lot of people over. And I had a lot of enemies, um, and I had nothing left to give. I could have. If I would have just kept digging, which often people do, digging a hole, and there's just trap doors. If I would have kept digging, I would have found myself in jail for a very, very long time. Because I was on the verge of doing things that you can't come back from. You know what I mean? Things that you can't get jobs for. You know, or like um, because of the charges that you would 
get, you wouldn't be able to get certain jobs or, or anything like that. But it was it was tough. I mean, like I said, I didn't have a place to live. I had a, a eight nine hundred dollar car that I was living in. All my clothes were in the back, and I was showering once a week. You know, brushing my teeth, maybe if I had time. You know, and it it became to that point. You just realize that I cannot keep living like this. I will end up like it's either dead or in jail. I just can't live like this. I need something better, not just for my kids, but for myself. Because and I was skinny and gross and was just nasty. Maybe 160 pounds, you know. And it was just just it was just gross. So I was sitting at this lady's house, so I had no idea who she was. I met her the day before, smoking crack, and decided, yeah, I can't do this no more. So I had a phone, which only, and my phone got shut off, but it, for somehow it only worked on outgoing calls, but nobody could call me or something like that. And I called the rehab uh, teen challenge. I said, listen... We'll be there in two hours to come get you. I said, perfect. And I left and I parked in front of Dom's one room place on East Philadelphia Street. Um, and I told him, listen, I'm going to rehab. I can't do this anymore. I need you to watch my car. You guys know about oh, the, yeah, car we know thing. the car thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I'll watch it for you. <laughs> yeah. If, if you don't Ten know bucks. the car story, listen to the Dom and Tio first podcast and you're going to hear what happened to the car. Yes. <laughs> but be, before we go to Dom on what he did, Dan, how do you feel when you hear your son tell that story that he didn't brush his teeth, that he was living in a car? How does that, how does that make you feel? Bad, like you said, you know, before about being helpless to help him, you know, you can only help them for so much, you know, if they're around when they're with you. Once they're not, you know, it feels bad, you know, hearing you always living in the car and, you know, uh, living. Did it make you mad? Uh, I don't know if it made me mad, mad, not really mad, just, I don't know, kind of sad and thinking, why can't you just get yourself straightened out? You know what I mean? To me, like Kathy said, you know, to me it was easy because I didn't, you know, I grew up in a in a family that nobody drank, hardly drank, and you know, addiction, we didn't have to deal with anybody in my family is an alcoholic so this was all new to me so i couldn't really couldn't understand why it was so hard just to, just to stop doing it you know that's i think was frustrating if you're, if you're that bad off if i'm living you know in my car or living in the softball dugout you know to me why why do you want to be like that why can't you just say no that's enough that's enough but it, it's a lot harder than that I, I find out you know it definitely is and that's the, 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 like the stigma of people just think without knowing anything about it. Why can't you just stop? I don't understand. I don't get it. If you don't want to do it, just stop. Just stop doing it. And, you know, like that, just stop drinking. I think every, your problems will just stop. If you just stop drinking. It's not that easy. I wish it was. I so wish it was. That just goes back to not being educated like like me. This is Dylan talking, and I, I thought the same thing in the very beginning. I was like, this this is dumb. Like, why yeah. can't you just stop? But then you learn that it's a disease. It's just like having diabetes. You can't just stop having diabetes. Yeah. It's, a, it's a disease. So it's like depression, too. You can't just stop having depression. 
So it just comes with not being educated. And I did learn that through all these podcasts, which I'm glad I did. So now I'm not the (laughs) (laughs) a-hole. But Dan, I do have a question for you. When you heard all those stories from your sons, did you ever feel like a failure of a dad when you heard that or no? No, I mean, I know you guys talked about that last podcast. Oh, what what could we have done more? I mean, I, I, I mean, besides locking them up and, and keeping them, you know, under lock and key, I mean, not really much you can do. You got to let them grow up, you know. I don't think we did anything bad. I mean, we had a good life. We, I mean, Kathy worked, you know. We never missed work. We did everything. The kids had went to school, went to sports, you know. It, uh, I, you know, we it's just frustrating to think that, you know, if, could we've done something different? I don't know if we could have done anything different, you know, because once they're away from you, they're going to do whatever they want to do. You know what I mean? And, and to, to the point where they finally, you know, realize, you know, enough's enough, thank goodness. And now both of them are doing great, but, uh, we used to argue about this because I said, this is our fault. This is our fault. We did something. And he goes, well, I don't know what else we can do different. And we used to argue about this because I was like, it's definitely us. But to say one thing, I have good friends that come from good families and they have great families, rich or poor, and they've had same problems. Every every family has some, if they have kids growing up, there's some sort of problem. So it's just not, you know, us. Other people, everybody else, no matter what they do, they go through some kind of battles as their kids are growing up. So, I mean, they could live in, you know, the perfect world and then their kids could, you know, end up being drug addicts or whatever, drunks or whatever, and they did everything they can. So it's, I don't think we failed as parents. I mean, we try to be loving and caring and give them pretty much everything they could, just like I was when I was a kid. You know, my parents did everything for us. It, it's really interesting that your family did not have any of the generational um, aspects that my family definitely had. There's at least four generations, including myself, of the alcohol addiction. And- yeah, no, growing up in, in a small town like Corning, you know, it's predominantly Italians. Italians are family-oriented. You know, they're not into, you know, um getting drunk and arguing and fighting they're 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 more caring and giving and that's the way my family was you know from an italian immigrant you know it was all about family and spending time with the family and stuff like that and there just wasn't nothing you know that we didn't have you know my parents didn't drink barely drank you know then and stuff like that so we were never around like that as kids growing up so when this all happened the addiction i mean it's like all new to me i mean it was all like what yep and, and we didn't expect it either and, and like you said dan like we did the best we could for our kids and i was a lot like kathy i blamed myself for a very long time like what could i have done differently and then i had to just realize to dan's point there's nothing that i could have done different so this addiction thing and we talk about the stigma people think this is an inner city thing and so we as parents don't expect it or even educate ourselves on it because we think it could never happen to us and it can now happen as we've learned to anybody. And that's one of the reasons for the podcast. Let's educate the parents who are not willing to say this could happen to me. This could happen to our family. 
Yeah, I can remember somebody saying, I, I forgot where I was, you know, that addiction is not prejudice. It don't matter where, who, when, what, where you come from. It's addiction is, is there. You, you know, you can be rich, poor. Doesn't discriminate. Yeah, it doesn't discriminate against nobody. So that's one thing that stuck in my mind from way back when I heard it. You know, it doesn't dis- dis- discriminate because, like I said, I've had good friends of mine from well, good families, and their kids had same issues. You know, so and it, and it's just it's a tough, tough thing to go through. And the being just an inner city thing is all BS. You know, what I mean, it's not an inner city thing. It's all over. That's correct. So, Dom, tell us about you. You did it for yourself. Getting clean? Yeah, you have to. Um... But I knew I was different um, with drinking. Didn't really go through that stage where I was like, nah, I don't have a problem. I'm functioning. I knew I was different. I was beyond different. You know what I mean, when I go to a party and everyone's waking up hungover, I'm going and finding all the leftover beers, you know. I knew early on I'm different. And I think the crazy, like, the crazy part was uh, you guys you guys know my story and uh, know about the shed. And uh, it was pretty much me and Dave's shed. It was me and Dave spent majority of the time there. Like before school, we were in there. After school, we were in there. We had people over, and uh, it progressively got worse naturally. And uh, and then me and Dave split towards the end of the senior year. And to be honest, I thought like, wow, what an asshole, dude. We were best friends. Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? You know what I mean? You come down to my house, hang out with this girl, you start dating her, and you just leave. But in reality. He met a girl, started to get his life together, and I wasn't going that route at all. You know what I mean? And this is in retrospect. I'm talking, this is eight years later I see it like this. But for years, I was like, dude, what a dick, dude. You just roll out, you know what I mean? You know how much weed we smoked together and how much liquor we drank? What the hell, Dave? You know what I mean? Now he's got his life together and a kid and a house and stuff, you know what I mean? And I'm just now, like, trying to pull my head out of my ass. But, like, and but he was there, and he was doing the same shit as me. We were... Drinking together, you know what I mean? If I wanted to drink a buddy before school, you know what I mean? Dave wasn't fucking scared to throw a few shots down, you know what I mean? And that's why we hung out. But, I mean, we were friends other than that. We played lacrosse and shit, but he was my partner in crime for, well, all of it, pretty much. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it, it was never like one day I was like, dude, I got to stop or anything. It was just like, <clears throat> I was going, like, we, like, pretty much just stopped talking or, like, you know, because we didn't really ever, like, text or call each other it's just like hey i'm coming over and, <laughs> yeah. that was it. and then so if that stopped it was it, like it was just i was out and there wasn't really much to it in dave's and, uh, case it was the power of a really wonderful woman that became his wife awesome. but i wanted to ask uh dom and tio if Somebody would have said something to you guys or your parents earlier on about what you were doing. Do you think that would have made any difference to you? Well, I mean, they did say, like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Why? Uh, Because they would catch me nodding out or something like that and get angry. And I knew um, they knew kind of what, what was going on. And I remember Dad saying, "Was like you, you got to do something. I mean, you're you're gonna lose your house. You're gonna you're gonna lose it." At that point, I didn't care. At that point, I had no cares. All I cared about was getting high, using, or or doing whatever at that time. Did once I came down from being high, yeah, you think about all that hard, quick, 
and you know it, and you feel sad and hurt but you know one thing that would take that pain away and i didn't have to think about it was using or drinking or or, or, or whatever but it's if you have a friend out there who, who is like using or anything like that say something to them tell them you're, you're not judging them you just want them to be here you want them to get help that that they need they might not listen but at least you said something you know and it's it, it, it is nice to hear if people are saying yo man you need to like get it together and because we, we want you here and i think it, it definitely makes a difference I mean, you never know. You could be that last person that exactly changed their mind. Exactly. So. Yeah. Well, and that's what I mean. I've felt guilty for years for when I stopped hanging out with them. I never once was like, "Dude, I think you should uh, dial it back a little bit or anything." Like, <laughs> I mean, I knew I knew also that he didn't want to hear it too, and he was gonna do what he wanted. But I mean, I didn't even attempt to say anything. I was just like, "Are right, you?" Just a dick. you yeah <laughs> you do your thing i'm gonna do my thing and that's it well know? dave when the, did you realize that maybe what he was doing was whoa whoa guy i need to i need to step away <laughs> um if that even came to a to uh to a point well probably before i even really stepped away because i mean really he would drink and for the most part, he was drinking like for himself. It's like it wasn't really me and him drinking. I mean, I would drink a little bit with him, but he's like, "Hey, I got this like half gallon, but it's mine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so don't touch it." So pretty much like I'll give you a couple of shots. Yeah. So you stop yeah. sharing and he stopped coming. No. It gets, see, it in gets, his eyes, me and Tabe were drinking together <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> no, I mean, we did drink together, but it was definitely another level for him. And I believe that. Um, yeah, I mean. Kind of laugh about, you know, kind of kid and laugh about it. You know, not everybody's on the right path, you know, to, to go back and talk about it. It's good to go back and talk about it and laugh about it, you know, to get it out. You know, it's in the past, you know. The past is the past. We're in the future. Let's keep doing what we're doing. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, Dad. Amen. <laughs> yeah, you guys are doing a great job. Thanks. I think um, sometimes you got to remind yourself where you were to make sure you don't go back. Exactly. And it's a serious topic, and we find ourselves laughing. We're not downgrading the seriousness of it. But to your point, Dan, we have to go back, and you have to look at the stupid things that we did and forgive ourselves and move on and laugh at the stupidity because we're on a journey right now and every one of us has our own issues and every one of us is on our own journey. And sometimes I believe it's harder. I give credit to any, any person that has the addiction and can look, get up every morning and look at that day and work that day to stay one more day clean. But I do want to get back on the topic of the Dave, like when he <laughs> when he realized that, he'd be like because I I've seen him drink like before school. And I'm thinking, what the hell is wrong with this kid? You know what I mean? Because he would drink an excessive amount of alcohol and then go to school. I'm like, what is wrong? I was like, I don't even know how you do that. It'd be yeah. so sick. Yeah. How, how did you get away with it? Yeah. Well, got, got no away. one was looking for it. 
And yeah. like and smelled I, it. And I, yeah. played, and I played sports and stuff. And I was taking it to school and drinking in the bathroom during lunch. Yeah. And then going straight to like welding. You know what I mean? Dudes <laughs> in my face like showing me how to make weld. He wasn't looking for it. Never smelled it. Chewed a lot of gum, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I was literally, I, because we'd go play hacky sack for the second half of lunch, and then I'd go into the bathroom, break off from our hacky sack game, and I had a water bottle full of, like, halfway full of, like, cheap whiskey, 10 high, and then, like, a Capri Sun, and I'd sit in the stall, and as soon as I cracked that water bottle, you could smell it. Just stank like fucking whiskey. And I'd be looking down, and you'd see teachers coming in on their lunch break, because we all had one lunch. Teachers coming in, taking a piss right there. I'm capping the whiskey quick. Slugging it quick, and I'm coming out sweating, stinking, you know what I mean? Like a whiskey. <laughs> Just going on with my day. And, and you got straight A's the whole yeah. time, right? Uh, <laughs> that was iffy. He was on the honor roll at one point, right, Kathy? Yeah. <laughs> that was the after honor roll. <laughs> we're, just, we're just not going to get the answer. Yeah. So, I mean, um, he was doing that for a while, and it'd get to the point where all right, so he's drinking before school, during school, drinking even more after school, and he'd pass out by, like, what, we got out of school at, like, 2.40. He'd be passed out, like, not even 4 o'clock, and there's no waking him up. And I was like, all right, well, I'm not just going to sit here while he's sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, that was when I think it started getting pretty bad and then uh, all the other stuff came into play on top of that, you know, because, I mean, he he was drinking like he was the whole time and then uh, pills and heroin were coming around and it was... Free-for-all. Yeah, it, it was no, no hold bar, really. Towards the middle of our senior year, I think is probably when I started realizing it, but yeah, like I said, I, cause I was doing the same thing. So it's not like I could be like, Hey, I don't think you should do that. Yeah, yeah. Cause I was doing the same thing. So it's not, you, you don't have any, any room to talk. Yeah. And that's the bad part. I thought I was the coolest motherfucker. <laughs> I just wanted to be like the baddest guy. You know what I mean? I was like, dude, if I'm just the one getting fucked up. You know what I mean? Constantly. I looked so dumb and I just wasted so much time and, money and sad but i learned from it you know but like that's what i thought was cool like that's what i wanted the shed to be like you walk in that bitch you know you're leaving not feeling the way you walked in you know i mean that's what the goal was i wanted everything we had artificial ketamine from poland come through there we had heroin we had any type of pill you've ever seen we've had alcohol was guaranteed weed was guaranteed spice i mean anything that's what i wanted i wanted people to come over with stuff anything Let's sit here. We'll use this. And that's what I wanted it for. And I thought that was awesome. That's all I wanted to do. And that's how I knew I was different with alcohol because I started drinking, you know what I mean, like a high school kid very briefly, but then I didn't want to do anything unless I was drinking. Like I didn't want to go to the York Fair unless, well, are we drinking beforehand? Like who's driving? Are we pre-gaming? Uh, hey, we're going to the gorge. All right. Who's got the alcohol? Who's got the beer? Who's got the weed? You know what I mean? Who's bringing acid? Who's... I didn't want to do anything unless we're drinking. You know what I mean, even school or lacrosse practice or anything. Because my thought was, I love being drunk and I don't mind doing these other things. Going to school is all right. Going to school drunk sounds better. Lacrosse, I love. Alcohol, I love. Combine the two, we got something even better. You know I mean, that was my thought. You know what I mean, and why the hell not? Let's run this. Well, not everybody gets it like Dave and realizes, yeah, maybe <laughs> it's really not for me. 
You know what I mean? And by the grace of God, he did get that. And I think what helped, in my opinion, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm right. He met, a, he met a great woman. They have a kid. They're married. Am I right? They started hanging yeah. out at the shed. Initially. Yeah, and I mean, it was never like, Brie was never like, uh, <laughs> you got cut it out. But, I mean, she, she definitely didn't know, like, the full extent of what was going on. And, like, she said she didn't really want to know. But I knew... At some point, she'd find out, and I knew for sure she wasn't going to be putting up with that shit. Yeah. And she would have been out. And so, I mean, that helped me realize, but then I was like, well, we're almost done high school. Growing up. I mean, it's the real life after that, so you, what am I going to sit around and smoke weed all day <laughs> and not get a job and do nothing, you know? Yeah. Yes. So. I thought so. I thought that's how it worked. <laughs> Yeah. I do have a question, though, for um, my dad and Ross. Because you both have been, both have a strikingly similar life. You know I mean? Supported uh, wives that um, went through alcoholism. Have um, children from separate marriages, have your own children. Um, a lot of them the exact same age. Did it ever, did you guys ever think anywhere along the lines about your wives drinking like, She's just not going to stop. Like, I need to either leave or... Because she's just yes. not getting it. She doesn't... It, I'm not enough to make her quit. Like, did that ever... Because I've had that said to me. Like, am I not enough for you to... Why am I not enough? It's a great question. And I, I would definitely love to hear the answers from both of you. Because you've like, both been married close... You guys have been married 30 years. My yeah. parents, I think, are right around 30. Were you hit 30, 30 this year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I didn't really think Mary was ever going to quit. I mean, because I talked to her plenty about it. And, you know, to be honest, sure, I thought about it. She probably doesn't know that, that someday I'm just going to be at the end and I'm out of here. There's got to be a, a better life. Uh, you know, uh, now that she has stopped drinking, you know, um, yeah, it's a, a big weight off your shoulders. It's like the one... There's enough things in the world to worry about, you know. This is a complicated world we live in. And, um, yeah, it's just, uh, your wife, you know, drinking excessively uh, is one, one less thing i got to worry about at night. And, and that's really when it was, when we were supposed to be relaxing. And, you know, Mary's pounding the, the, the wine. And then, I mean, you know, to the addiction part that you just don't understand is after she did all that and i'm like I'm, it's minutes before bedtime i'm thinking and she's going to go get you know whiskey to for a nightcap you know and i'm thinking holy crap i mean yeah. and then i would tell her all the time it's like you know drinking is kind of dumb because you spend hours getting to this point you drink and you drink and you're all drunk and then what do you do you pass out or you go to sleep. And I'm thinking, how stupid is that? Like, well, shouldn't you do something while you're, while you're all drunk? You spent hours prepping for this, what, to go to sleep? sleep. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it, it is really difficult. I, um, I don't know. I mean, I come from a divorced family. Uh, my parents divorced when I was like 12 years old. And it was devastating to me, and um, I was determined not to have that happen. 
Um, sounds like there was another young lady here that had that same feeling, but couldn't couldn't quite keep it together. But it's one of the most probably the biggest driving forces for me to stay together is because of the the hell I went through um, after my parents divorced. Because you know I wasn't an angel, and, and that's really what drove me to. Thank God I don't have an addictive personality because I'd have been where you two guys are. Um, when when my parents divorced, it there was no supervision. They they were, I tell people they they couldn't take care of themselves. So they how were they going to take care of me? And and I went down. You know I took the the low road instead of the high road, and and that was my excuse. And at some point I'd I'd love to hear Dom and Tio is like, what 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 was the turning point? What, what got you to go down that road? But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough thing. And, uh, like I said, I I couldn't, uh, imagine another man taking care of my two boys. Um, that was another driving force. I mean, I was a step, a stepdad. So I kind of knew what it was like to, uh, you know, be that person that comes into somebody else's life. And um, I, I couldn't do that for my two, you know, my boys. And, uh, you know, uh, it's just, uh, as Dan alluded to earlier, too, it's, uh, you know, we're a strong family, and I believe in family. And uh, we we just work it out. And uh, a lot of talking, you know, some of the talking has just now become uh, a little easier for Mary. That's something that, you know, she hasn't been real good at doing. But communication and talking, man, you, you got to do it, um, even if it's uncomfortable. I mean, to the point where, you know, we've talked about why can't you just stop? Well, I felt that way about her drinking, but... Also, I felt that way about communication. It's like, why can't you just communicate with me? Why can't you just tell me how you're feeling? I mean, we've been together for 30 years, and you still feel uncomfortable. You should be able to tell me anything. But that's a that can be a problem. And um, luckily, Mary's working on that with with the help of therapy, and uh, that's one of the the key topics. Um, you know, communication and talking is. Uh, something that would make the whole world go around better if you could just not be afraid and and feel vulnerable about how you feel dan what do you think well i i agree um you know there was never any time where i would say well you know i'm leaving you know if you don't stop drinking i'm leaving and like kathy said when she would drink she'd be argumentative she would say some things but I knew deep down that she didn't mean any of the things she said at the time she was doing, she would say stuff to the boys. And I knew, you know, and I tell them, you know what? She don't, she don't mean that. Okay. She's just drinking and meaning, but there was never a time that I said, you know what? I've had enough. I'm leaving. I never walked out. I, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I never threatened her with, you don't stop. I'm leaving. Um, I just knew that it was going to be a long battle and, and, I knew she would finally realize that, you know, what she was doing was wrong and that she, she needed help. And 
and being like you said you know being a good close family you know we uh, stuck together you know thick and thin believe me there were some rough times arguments but you know all in all um i can just say that you know i was trying to be as supportive as i could you know there's certain times that she didn't even want to hear things but but i knew deep down you know she didn't mean any of that stuff and the people that know her know that you know my kids know that you know sing you know what and she realized like you said she was laying in bed and she told me this story you know a few times laying in bed with our grandson realizing you know what i've had enough and the day that she left for for rehab she texted me said i've had enough i'm going to rehab she sent me a text and sure enough she went to rehab then that was that. He just hadn't said it. <laughs> I, I'm curious as, you know, the mom and, and these boys sitting here with both being, or all three of these boys being raised by moms with drinking problems. Like, did you know if you did? When did you know? How do you think that affected you? Like, what did you guys all think that was about that, it? That was actually going to be my question to Dave and Ross. When the exact same question you just asked me is going to be the same question that I want to hear from them too. Yeah. I didn't even really. We were we were young, and I didn't really notice anything. I saw her drink, but the way she describes it was it was worse than what I thought. You know what I mean? I didn't. I knew that she was drinking at, you know, in the evening time most of the time and uh, hanging out with her sister a lot and the, and they were drinking, but she would definitely get mean when she was drinking. That's for, for sure. And I didn't really think anything of it, you know, just again, I didn't really know anything about addiction then either. You know, we were, we were young, still in high school. Did you uh, did you think that gave you an excuse to do what you did? Like, it's no, mom, mom's drinking, so she can't tell me I can't do what I'm doing. I thought no. everyone drank. Yeah, because yeah. I mean that's what I saw. I mean, you, social, social gatherings, yeah, drinking, everyone Super Bowl drinking. parties. Right. So you do. You grow up and you drink. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think anything. It's not like my mom. He says, like my mom got mean. I mean, she would like yell at us as kids, but she's also cooking dinner for us five minutes later. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. And cleaning mom, our dishes and yeah. you know, Mom, moms are always yelling. Yeah. At kids. yeah. So we were a lot of like water off a turtle's back. You know what I mean? We, yeah. It would happen. Yeah. You know, we would just go back with our our day. We didn't really hold grudges or anything like that. So, and I didn't even realize how bad it really was. Um. I don't know if you did or not. You were a lot younger. She didn't though. act out like that. It wasn't like crazy. She's not like out back, like slugging beers, trying to fight the neighbor and shit. Yeah. You know what I mean, she's just like inside <laughs> drinking a little too much wine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like maybe like hiding some in the laundry room when she's doing the laundry. Like, you know what I mean? Not stealing and. Right. Highly functioning. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like Mary. You yeah. Know? Same way. Job, raising right. a family, household looks good. You know what I mean? If you drive past the house, it looks perfect. People going, man, I wish I had their life. You know, mm-hmm. that's the facade we keep up. You know, you're outside of the club, cup. What does Bob say? Outside of the cup looks clean, but what about the inside? Something like that. It's a trash can. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, do you guys. What, what's the, um, you say the question again? How, how, when did you realize that Mary's drinking might be an issue? Or when did it start causing problems? Like, um... I don't know, like how old were you? How long ago did you realize? Did it affect you in any way in the very beginning? Like, why do you keep doing this? Or for Dave, you know, growing up, when did you realize that your mom 
man, she might she might have a drinking problem, you know, or or. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, I knew she always drank when she came home, like every day. That was just a normal thing. But I mean, she still acted the same way as she did when she wasn't. So that was never any alarm to us. But I mean, over the last couple years, once I moved out and I mean, we wouldn't go over there. Like, I mean, we'd stop in and say, Hey, but you're not like hanging out to like, you don't really see how someone's acting in like 20, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, but like the last few years, Going to Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that, um, kind of would get to the point where like, uh, do I even really want to go? Because I know at some point, mom's gonna drink a little too much, and then she just gets loud and a little obnoxious, and you just don't really want to deal with it. But I mean, other than that, it was never like blatantly obvious, like you have a problem and you need help mm -hmm. at least in our situation yeah for me i would say uh in the beginning when i first met mary i mean like you said dumb i mean drinking was it i mean that's just what you did and actually i thought it was pretty cool because mary was the first woman i'd ever met that when i came home the refrigerator was full of beer and I'm like, hey, hey. this isn't so bad. <laughs> I mean, it was like milk. We had, and she cooked dinner really well. Yeah. I mean, we never were out of alcohol of some sort. And trust me, I, I had my demons with drinking. Again, uh, going down that road after my parents divorced. I mean, that was just something I used to deal with my issues, and. Uh, so I drank like a fish for a long time, man. Me and I, I always joke that uh, Jim Beam is my drink, and uh, Jim Beam owes me a barrel. I mean, I, I <laughs> trust me, uh, had plenty. And, but I was probably, like Mary, a highly functioning, and I could probably would have been you know, considered an alcoholic um, by the book. But... Um, I think then the difference came where I don't know what happened. Maybe uh, it got to the point where I would drink one drink and I'd have a headache or I would have drank too much, uh, you know, and I'd have a headache, a hangover. I definitely got hangovers and I just got to the point where I did not want to ruin the older I got, the longer it took to recover. And I didn't want to have another Saturday that I pretty much ruined because as I got older, it would really take the whole day for me to recover. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be like completely incapacitated and I wasn't a, I wasn't a kind of guy that would throw up, but, um, you know, it just, I had a headache. I was tired. I was miserable and I just didn't want to do that for another day. And then when, so I slowed down and I guess that's when Mary just kept on going. And when I slowed down, it then came a little more apparent that, dang, gone. I mean, I, I even probably when I was drinking, I mean, you know, a bottle of wine is one thing. And then you start going to the Magnums, you know, that's a big bottle of wine. And you're drinking that whole thing in one day. 
one, well, not just the day, one evening. And uh, I'm like, wow. It, it, that's when I, I guess I would start to say that's when I realized that, you know, there's more of a problem. And then, and I talked about this on Mary's podcast too. Um, when, when she had her back surgery or before her back surgery, that's when it really kicked up another notch. And, and uh, she used alcohol as um, a medication to numb the pain. And trust me, from the size of her disc that was bulging, um, I don't know how she did it. And, and it took, it had to have taken that much alcohol to where she would pretty much pass out to, to relieve the pain. Um, it wasn't the right way to treat it, uh, but so many people do, whether it's physical pain, mental pain, uh, whatever your issues are, so many people turn to alcohol and or drugs um, to, you know, help them get through to ease the pain. And uh, it's a shame. Uh, mental health is so looked down upon. Uh, the, the analogy always is uh, the, the uh, engine light comes on on your car and man, boom, immediately you take it to the, to the garage to get fixed. Not a problem. Nobody thinks anything of it. But when, or, you know what? You got the sniffles, you got a sore throat, you broke your arm, man, you're right off to the doctor, not even thinking a thing about it. But then when there's something wrong with your mind, nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to go. Why? Because they think, oh, what are you, crazy? Or there's something wrong with my mind. Oh, no, I can't admit that. But it's really, if you think about it, it's no different it's no different than having a, an illness uh, with your heart, your lungs, your liver, whatever. Your mind is just another part of your body that needs to be fixed if there's something wrong. And I wish that stigma, that's probably one of the biggest stigmas of all, that if there's something wrong with your mind, there's something wrong with you, period. And uh, I don't believe that. Um, so, I, again, that that's probably you know when her back surgery you know after her back surgery i don't know what i guess she still went on you know then it, by then it's a, a learned behavior uh to do those things and uh well i stopped for quite a while but then i got bored mm-hmm. <laughs> well mary mary's one of her biggest concerns about stopping drinking i mean and dom you probably you you kind of said this already that Mary equated drinking to fun. Like there was like what she kept saying to me, what are we going to do for fun if we're not drinking? Like really alcohol (laughs) is the only way you can have fun. And and it's kind of a shame that, um, but you know, if you think about it, uh, so many of our social events, a lot of the people that you hang out with, that truly is the, the main topic. You know, that's the first thing. You go to somebody's house, what do they want to do? They want to hand you a drink. You know, um, it, it, it's a, I, you know, I think we're still struggling with, you know, that new life, how to have fun. You guys feel that way? You, you trying to fill that void instead of getting high or drunk? Yeah, because, I mean, you can only spend so much time at work and at the gym before you're just tired of it. Um, 
figuring out what you're gonna do with your free time is huge because once you stop using shit, all your problems in life just become more apparent. They don't go away. They get they're more prevalent now because I'm not hiding them. I didn't know what my anxiety or if I even had anxiety. I didn't even know anything about myself because I've spent all of my time growing up just trying to not be myself. And uh, so I'm still figuring out what the hell I like, what I don't like, what food I like. Even that like dumb shit. I'm 26. I'm still figuring out like what, I don't even know what I enjoy because I just got fucked up to have fun for years. So I'm still learning and you know what I mean? I'm trying to follow people that have done it successfully and figure out like what they do, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's tough. You know what I mean? But once you do get bored, that's a very dangerous spot to be. Mm -hmm. It's super easy to just go, mm, okay, well, you mean I wouldn't be so bored if I just had a little buzz. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not just that. I think for Mary and, and, and even me, I mean, we, we talked about this last time too, about triggers and uh, I think people need to be educated on what triggers are and, and, and what your personal triggers are. And I know one thing that, that's Mary's trigger, and it's probably for a lot of people, is, is stress. You know, particularly um, when she's a, you know, a, a contractor, a painter by trade. And when that job site's not going well or, or you know, somebody has told her one thing and now she can't do that or you know her day wasn't mary's very good at mapping out her day and when it doesn't go that way man that's a trigger for her so um there's a lot of times she'll she'll but that's the key you got to recognize what those triggers are and then you know thank god she started to talk to me and say hey today's a bad day and uh i i think that's key you know, for you two guys too, if, if there's, if you're having a bad day and you recognize that you're having this trigger, you know, tell somebody that so that they can talk to you and help you and say, Hey, Tio, man, you know, let's, let's go do this or let's go do that. Let's, uh, you know, think about this. Um, I, I want to follow up on the trigger thing and this is directly related to my work. I don't remember, it doesn't matter what day it was, but one day was, um, it wasn't good. And I needed, I was supposed to go to the grocery store and get some things. And most importantly, Ross's French vanilla creamer for his coffee. We were totally out <laughs> and you know, I'm real good at taking care of him, but I was like, I, I can't go. I cannot walk in a grocery store that sells wine. I cannot drive by a beer store. I just need to go home. And he's just going to have to live without the creamer. <laughs> and I told him that. I'm like, you got to do milk and sugar tomorrow or something. I, I couldn't do it. It was just too triggering. So I just had to, I had to change my path on that. And then the one other thing I wanted to mention when Ross was talking about how much my drinking ramped up with my back surgery or, or pre-back surgery before they finally figured out that's what I needed. The doctors wouldn't give me any pain medicine because of this whole opiate thing. And I was in pain that would put me on the floor. They gave me anti-inflammatories and prednisone and said, well, you could take a Tylenol. Well, Tylenol didn't even do anything. And you're not supposed to take Tylenol when you're drinking. So no, we're not gonna take the Tylenol. But I'm like, would you please give me some pain medicine? I mean, I couldn't sleep, nothing. And it was it, because of the opioid thing, They I didn't get any pain medicine until after surgery. Mm -hmm. And by then, it was, it was way better. <laughs> so, 
it, yeah. it's kind of um i don't even know like a dichotomy there that here i needed the opiate but because of the opiate problem they wouldn't give me any opiate so all i did was drink more this is Austin speaking uh i just want to say thank you for everybody that's here today it's uh it's been an amazing podcast so far so thank you guys for being here um one thing i want to point out is dom you're talking about finding yourself now can we do that can you do that at a younger age can you find yourself before you go through the addiction why so if you're going down a path and you have a path to go hey let's try these drugs or you're find out i don't know how these drugs make me feel versus let me find more about myself let let me find out who i actually am as a person instead of going down that path what is it that what is it that we want to go down that path of curiosity rather than trying to find out who we are as a person so for me for instance i never tried drugs never the only thing i did was drink okay i never felt the need to try to do that those things because i was always independent so i'm always trying to find out who i am as a person does that make sense mm -hmm. so what is it that way back when you're younger what is it makes you want to go down that other path what made you not want to go down that path is the question so Seeing, seeing my older brother, Kyle, always seeing him get in trouble and stuff, I never, I never wanted to disappoint my parents at all. So a deterrent for you in that yeah. case. But there was never like a curiosity of like, how's that going to make me feel? There was nothing like... You've because, never thought that? Ne never. Wow, never. that's cool. There was, no, there was not a single point where I was like, I want to try this. You never saw not even now. And just not like, even damn, now. I wonder. And I can tell you a story. We were uh, at Vernia basketball camp, right? Me and him were, we, he was sitting out on the front porch with me and he, uh, he was actually smoking weed. First time I ever saw this dude <laughs> smoking weed in front of me. Okay. My mom's like, God, I don't know this is going on right now. But anyway, we we're sitting there and he's smoking weed and I, I don't like, I didn't ask questions or nothing. He's just chilling and he's like, do you want to hit? I was like, nah, dude, I don't, I don't, I'm good. So it was like, I never, I was never curious. So what's, see what's, that, what's, that, that was a crucial point right there. Yeah. Right there where you said no, yeah. at that same point in my life, it was in a different situation and probably at a different time, I said yes. You said no, I said yes. Mentally, I was willing, I was curious enough and I was willing enough. At that time, it wasn't like, I didn't know, what, like, it wasn't an in-depth decision like, man, I'm, I can't deal with myself, like life is just so fucking crazy, I'm 15, like what the hell, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like that, but I was curious enough. And at, at that point, I think we made some crucial decisions at specific times in our lives that made us go down certain paths where like me and Dave were more curious. You know what I mean? We're like, even like his brother, Joe was a little more like straight edge. I mean, still had a side, we're hanging out with some people like drinking and stuff, but he was more straight edge. Um, but like, yeah, you, like you, like, no, not even curious. Didn't even like, you never even thought to say like, yeah, maybe I will try it yeah, right there. I was like, yes, absolutely. What well, to do? Well, what? So you were hey, just curious. That, I think it was ingrained in me. I don't think it was like it wasn't a learned behavior that it, then. I, and, yeah, but, but I mean, I, I had influence though. I was watching Tio and his friends. I'm not. I'm not throwing him under the bus, but older, older brothers. You're yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, your yeah. older brother was yeah. when I offered it to you. Yeah. Dave had Kayla and um, Mark. Mark. Yeah. You know, and so like we were influenced. Our households were identical. You know what I mean, all of our parents were together. We all had older siblings that influenced us to some degree. You know what I mean? We're all sitting at the same table in 2020. No, but it's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was just, I was just naturally curious. I really think it's, you know, I, I can tell you my experience. I mean, you know, 
I'm 55 years old, but my uh, experience really isn't any different than, than Dom and Tio's where, where I went wrong. Um, you know, again, I think something happens to you in your life. Sometimes it does, maybe sometimes it doesn't. For me, the trigger, if you will, was my parents being divorced. Okay. So then you're out there kind of messing around. Let's, so, so I had a, like a shop, a barn shop, if you will. So I had a big shed and, uh, there was a guy that worked for my family as a mechanic. And that's something that I was really into. So I looked up to this guy and, uh, it, but he smoked pot. Okay. So that's where I first got introduced to marijuana was this guy who did a job that I really uh, admired. And, you know, this guy was cool. You know, he had the haircut, he had the jeans, he had the engineer <laughs> boots, he had the chain drive wallet. I mean, he was the, he was the man. Drove a cool Nova, you know. Uh, and so when the guy says, hey, man, you want to try this? Well, what? Hey, if you're doing it, it must be pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And was I scared? Yeah. I I remember the first drink I ever took. Uh, You know, it was my cousin came across the the street over to my house and she had a bottle of vodka. And she says, hey, do you want to try this? I'm like, "Uh," you know, it was the first drink I ever took. Uh, Yeah, I was scared. I had no idea what what was going to happen to me. But you know, I guess like Dom says, the curiosity or the willingness to do it was there. And I think uh, as time goes on, uh, the peer pressure uh, to emulate uh, your peers, like whether it's your big brother or the mechanic down in the shop, I, 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 you know, that's just, I think, how it snowballs. And, and I may have answered my own question with you two guys because I really – you know, as our families were so strong and, 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 and tried to do everything correctly to raise you boys the correct way and be in sports and that kind of thing. It was always curious after listening to your, I was shocked, you know, to find out that, you know, you two young, upstanding young men, <laughs> unfortunately got wrapped up into this. And, but I guess that's really how it starts, man. It is a mindset uh, that you may or may not be born with. Now, uh, yeah, I I was exposed to the just say no to drugs and drugs are bad and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, when your situation changes and, uh, uh, you know, for me, uh, again, that divorce was my excuse. It actually made me mad. Uh, I was angry. I was an angry man for a long time. And and that's how I dealt with my anger is to either drink or smoke pot or whatever was available. You know, I don't didn't do all the things you boys did, but um, it's uh, that was really, you know, uh, I, I just did whatever I could do to, to get away from reality, I guess. And, you know. Back when I was a, a teenager, I had a Jeep, and uh, and four wheeling was the coolest thing ever. And you know, and I took stupid risks doing that too. Um, you know, probably was drinking and carrying on while I was out there doing the four wheel drive thing. And 
you know, Jeeps were so easy to roll over. Um, yeah, I probably looking back on it would probably never do those kind of things today, but, um, I really do believe that's where it starts. I think it's personality too. Yeah. And curiosity. Dom, if someone says to you, you can't do that or don't do that. The first thing you're going to think is how can I do that? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I have that personality as well. I didn't get into your situation, but I truly believe that some of it's personality. And I think what also is trying to get at is how do we get young people not to go to that curiosity part of it and keep, yeah, and find out who they are as a person so that we can stop and help people not to go down that path and help with this addiction stigma. But you're not worried about, oh, who am I? At 11 years old, are you thinking, oh, who am I? <laughs> no, you're not. You're like, oh, let's go do some fun crap. Let's go do something. Let's go outside and shoot some hoops. Let's play one-on-one. -on -one. Let's beat each other up on, on the basketball court. I mean, Who I am I? I don't know if you necessarily <laughs> need to figure out who you are, but maybe being younger and teaching people how to deal with things is might be a better start than trying to figure out your – Like deal with certain situations. Yeah. I, actually, I think Deep put that very well. Like yep. in my head I'm thinking, but – one of my biggest problems is I came out of childhood and growing up because it was such a dysfunctional situation. I had zero coping skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only thing I really knew how to do was flight for protection from my situation. And so I, I didn't know how to cope. I mean, even right now, I still don't know how to cope with just everyday stuff because I drowned so much for so many years and um following up on the finding yourself to i would recently listen to a psychologist um, i think it's the sober therapist podcast and she was talking about the developmental stages in life and you don't really figure out who you are until your senior high years and into your early 20s so if you're altering your state with any of these chemicals you're not gonna figure out who you are till you stop. So here I am at 54 years old trying to figure out who I am. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like the whole the whole quarantine thing. Think about it. It isolated a lot of people, and they, a lot of people had trouble with that because they never sat with themselves. Even you, mom, you admitted to it. Ooh. You you couldn't you couldn't sit there with yourself. You always had to be around people because that's what you grew up with, right? That's true. That's what. I'm, so yeah. So we got to find ourselves. My first struggle with admitting that I have depression came with COVID because most people don't know, but Joe and I have been split up. It's going to be a year. I live in an apartment. And so I work in the apartment. I live in the apartment. Joe and I were together for 37 years. So I had my kids and I had Joe and we had the dog and all of a sudden COVID comes and I have nobody to talk to and I'm in an apartment beating myself up. Like, how did I fail? And so I had to find myself. I'm still finding myself every day. Like, I don't know who I am as a person because I was 14 years old when I met Joe. So all my life, it was me and him. And I never once figured out who I am. And it's very difficult to figure out who you are when you're on your own. Now, for me, I've always taken care of all the bills and everything, so that's not an issue for me. The issue is emotionally... Who am I? Like, 
I have to figure that out. And so you're right. That's, like, that's I, what could re- resort you to either finding a substance or something to drown that out, or you can sit in that and find out who you really are. Right. How to deal with it. So in my personality, and I, I don't, I'm not a drinker. I mean, I drank when I was young, but I didn't once think to myself, I'm just going to get drunk. So I don't have to think about this. I just kept busy. So I went to the gym or, you know, I've read a lot of books. I did a lot of studying and, and this podcast is what saved me. When Austin came to me and said, mom, do you want to do a podcast? That's what saved me from thinking of anything else. I never once thought about it, like trying to drug or drinking just to, to get rid of it. But I'm not going to lie. When I sit here sometimes and think about it and I hear like the Dom, you know, drinking, like it's fun. What do I do? Like you said, you're looking for things to do because you're trying to find yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing right now myself. Like, what do I do? And sometimes I sit in my apartment and think, what in the world? It's so much easier for me to go back but I'm not finding myself just by running back to what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. I'm not running back to a drug. I'm running back to a marriage because that makes me feel complete mm-hmm. when I really don't know who I am. And so if we wouldn't be doing these podcasts right now, I would be in a shit ton of trouble because this is what keeps me from the depression part of it. So to Austin's point, I had to find myself through the quarantine. It sucks. And so you know, that's just me. Like, I get where Dom's going. Like, what do we do now? Like, what do I do now? This is terrible. Finding so. yourself and finding out who you are is one of the hardest things you can do Absolutely. in life. Um, I think majority of people will go through life not knowing who they are or what they really do like or what they're passionate about. And I think the other half won't until they're made to. And then some rare people, you know what I mean, will try to find it at all costs. And You know what I mean? And I, I think it's the ultimate goal of living a life a fulfilled life is finding what you're passionate about and doing it and what why am i here what am i doing here what is my role whether you believe in god and like what your reasoning is um it's hard and i, I mean you guys give me and tio so much praise for like being clean and shit or whatever but i mean we use drugs i use drugs for like eight or nine years and now i'm trying to find myself you were married for 37 that's way harder than what we're going through everything you thought you knew your family and everything is not gone but it's not there on a daily basis so what you're going through is it doesn't matter if there's drugs involved life happens you know what i mean and the the shit you go through like if my parents got divorced i don't know i i I don't know how they would handle it that they've i mean geez they they work together they live together they shop together they wipe their ass together they (laughs) they are together so i don't even know what they would do yeah to, to everybody's point about finding yourself and i think it's also uh important i think it's not that's i think it's a moving target too i i don't i don't think it stays the same i mean i could say the same thing that um have i found myself at 55 years old i don't know um i think our interests change and uh your followings change and you know it's probably not going to be till the end when, when either somebody's talking about you or you're sitting back in an old rocking chair that has made the whole person, you know, um, what, what your legacy is going to be. It's, it's not something that I think, Dom, you said 
yeah, the lucky people. It's like those kids that come out of high school and know they want to be a doctor yeah. right away and, yeah. and go and do it, be successful. Well, that was never me. I, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I think living in the moment, and I just told Mary this the other day, um, is, is part of it, I think. And when you live in the moment, you're you're just kind of taking in what's going on in, in front of you now and not try to put so much pressure on yourself and don't worry about too many different things. And 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 you will you will make yourself. And and before you know it, uh, like I said, you might have to sit back and reflect and look back. Oh, that that's the me, you know, it, it's okay. People struggle with what kind of clothes they're going to wear, what kind of facial hair they're going to have, you know, what kind of haircut. Um, but all, all said and done, whether, you know, you had a short beard for a long time or no beard or a long beard, at the end, that's, uh, you, you tried them all and maybe you stuck with one. But I say in the end, that that's what's going to make you as the person. Um, you put all, a bunch of those little things together and uh, that's what's going to end up making you. And, and you know, sometimes you can't force it. Um, it. Sometimes those things have to happen by themselves, you know, and, and you won't even realize it unless you look back and think about it and say, hey, well, this is me. You know, I like tattoos. You know, this is part of me. This is part of what I like. Who I am. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> awesome. We have covered so many topics today. Um, I appreciate everybody's input. And, and I learned from this podcast and, and that's the addiction and that's the, the alcoholism. And so it alters people. Like we know that there's good. We're sitting here saying all of you, like Dom and Tia and Mary and, and Kathy, like you're good people. You have an addiction and we all have addictions and we're all good people. It's just sometimes it changes our personality and we have to figure it out and be supportive but also take care of ourselves at the same good people fall into these addictions and they can get out of it and it can work if you work towards it so i just wanted to wrap it up and appreciate that it's been helpful for me today it was not the topic that we came here to talk about <laughs> um, but we've covered so much and everybody's in a different stage in their life and we just learned that everybody struggles with something and so let's wrap it up with a big thank you austin dylan anything just thank you yep I said, thank you for having us on. Hopefully this helps somebody out in the future. Yep. It helped me already. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank, thank you. Take care. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you on the next Bye. one. Bye.